0: Hey guys, Pastor Jeremy here. I just wanted to take a minute and welcome you, and thank you for joining us here. We're so excited you're able to join us online, and we are thankful we can offer this opportunity. My prayer for you is that you are encouraged and challenged during your time with us as we worship the Lord together. We are so glad you're here with us, and I hope you come ready to encounter God through His Word. Blessings.
1: Our reading today is Mark chapter 5, verses 1-20. through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the hill not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and they drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the, in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled.
0: Heavenly Father God, in these next few moments as we open your word, Lord, I pray as I do often, Lord, that we would not simply read your word, but Lord, that we would hear your word and we would be changed. By our experience with you this morning. God, I pray that you would indeed speak to our hearts. And Lord, just as the psalmist says, you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful truths from your word. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So like many ministers, I made my way through seminary. And um, I was pastoring... Uh, a, a small church in North Texas. And when I say small, uh, I, I think I've told you about this place before. But um, it was an unincorporated town outside of a town that only had 300 people in it. And uh, the, there were, they said the population of the place we lived was 80. I only ever saw about 7 people. So I'm pretty sure that that was off. But when I lived there, um, as you can imagine, uh, the church paid me a really small amount. We lived in a, a parsonage that was across the a driveway from the church. And, and so I tried to work pretty hard to make ends meet. We had four kids, and uh, I did that. And so I did everything, right? And, and some of you have the same experience. I, I did everything. I laid tile, I hung drywall. I, I put out I did fencing, um, I baled hay. I worked, um, I did all kinds of odd jobs uh, to try to help make ends meet. Um, and, uh, but what you may not know is that for a period of uh, a little over two years, I was a firefighter. Specifically, I was a certified wildland firefighter, so I fought forest fires and grass fires. Um, and, and when I did that I was a member of what's known as a hotshot crew if you know what that is Those are the guys wearing the yellow uniforms that dig trenches in the in the forest to hold back forest fires And so that's what I did uh, then as well and there was a Sunday afternoon, we, uh, I remember it very vividly actually, we had a Sunday morning service and then we went, we went home, you know, that really long trip across the parking lot and so we went home and we were there for a while and we were supposed to have an ice cream social that night and that's what we were having, that we weren't having Sunday night service, it was during the summertime, we were just having an ice cream social, beautiful day outside and, um, and of course, beautiful day, it's a Sunday, ice cream social coming up, my pager goes off right, because that always happens, and my pager goes off, and we got called to a 200-acre grass fire uh, several miles away from uh, the house, and we were called there to help stop it because it was headed towards some homes and and some businesses, and so uh, we headed out, uh, the crew and I headed out, and we got there, and... I was on the back of one of our trucks. We were able to access it through one of our trucks. And so some of the guys were around on the ground fighting it. And I was on the back running the pumps and everything and running a hose as well. And there was a guy in the cab, of course, driving the truck. And the, 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 this fire just kept building and building. And the smoke was really thick. And the wind was swirling around. And, and because the wind was swirling around, the guys who were fighting on the ground, they were digging and stuff. So they weren't really holding on to hoses. They got separated from the truck. And so it was just me and the guy driving the truck, and I was on the back. And apparently, somehow or another, he forgot I was back there. Uh, Because he forgot I was back there, he began to drive. there's something you never do. He didn't drive alongside the fire. He drove through the smoke. And because he drove through the smoke, he got disoriented, um, and he was driving in circles. Now, not too disoriented, because there's a filtration system on the truck, so he was breathing fine in the air conditioner, listening to the radio. But there, you know, there was this guy on the back of the truck without a mask on, who was not, uh, did not have a filtration system. And so I was back there, and I remember I couldn't breathe. And no matter what I, I knew, the worst thing ever is to jump off the truck because I can't tell where the fire is. I can't tell anything. So I'm suffocating. I can't breathe at all. There's no way to grab anything. All I have is a hose. And then as I fell down on the deck of the truck and I, I couldn't breathe at all, I remembered something that a friend of mine told me. Just a few weeks before he had learned in in a class he had taken, a certification class he would taken. So I laid down, I turned the hose uh, to, to a mist and I turned the hose on and I put my mouth next to the hose because it blows air through the hose. That's how it pushes water out. So I was able to breathe enough. It felt like 10 minutes. It was probably 30 seconds, 45 seconds. But they came and they drug me off the truck. Took me to an ambulance, um, hooked me up to everything, had a mask on, I had, you know, I, all of that stuff, and I'm breathing, I'm coughing uncontrollably, I, I just, I'm, I'm really struggling, and they were going back and forth on whether to take me to the hospital, I mean, it was all of these things, and then when I finally could get enough, uh, enough air in my lungs to say what I needed to tell them that was the most important thing ever, I pulled the mask away and I said, between coughs, I said, please, don't tell Luann. and they did anyway uh but my you know all of that not afraid of dying just afraid of what she's gonna do when i get home right see i remember in that moment you know if you've ever been around situations like that especially you know firefighters whatever it's a lot of bravado in that moment right i mean you can i got this i mean i can do this there's no big deal just fire it's just fire. i mean you hear guys say stuff like that all the time and I remember in that moment realizing that all the bravado in the world, all the ability in the world doesn't matter because in those situations, you're not in control. You're not in control at all. You have no, I I was completely at the mercy of the Lord. And I remember sitting in the back of that ambulance thinking and having to pray and thank the Lord that I am not in control. Thank the Lord that he, in fact, is always in control. And you know, in this life, um, all the things that we face in this life, it can feel like our life is out of control. We talked about that a little bit last week um, in regard to the, uh, the storm that Jesus calmed with his words. And the fact that this world can seem out of control, the circumstances in our life can seem out of control. And what's interesting, though, is we almost never, there's really two Uh, Two polar um, issues here. We either never think of this or there are people who only think of this. But what I'd like to say this morning is that often in our lives and in our spiritual struggles or difficulties and hardships, even within the church, what we fail to remember is that there are spiritual forces, evil, Satan himself, who stands against the people of God... Um, ...and stands against the work of God... ...does not want to see God triumph... ...and God, um, is, God's plan succeed through his people. In fact, we forget that Ephesians chapter 6... ...verses 10 through 12 says... ...Finally, be strong in the Lord... ...and the strength of his might... ...and put on the whole armor of God... ...that you may be able to stand... ...against the schemes of the devil... ...for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood... ...but against rulers and against authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, the Apostle Paul tells us that the reason you and I need to protect ourselves, we need to put on the full armor of God, is because we have a real enemy who stands against the people of God. And sometimes we like to almost act like, well, it's true, but at the same time we treat it as though it's, it's just a fairy tale or a part of the Bible story, it's no big deal. But the Bible, in fact, in Paul, Paul here in Ephesians 6 tells us it's the reason we have to protect ourselves. It's the reason we have to put on the armor of God. And when we find ourselves in a place where we know we're dealing with powers, we're dealing with things that are far beyond the, the physical where we know we're facing things that are far beyond us and our ability to handle. When we do this, we, the, one of the greatest truths we can rest in, one of the things that we, have to, we can find comfort in is know that in the, the midst of these spiritual battles, in the midst of these overwhelming odds, our Savior is the sovereign Lord over the spiritual world. See, Jesus and his disciples, as we talked about last week, they're, they're headed over. You heard Brother Mike read just a minute ago. Uh, they, they were headed over across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. Um, they had, and, and then, of course, the, the, the storm rolls in. The worst of storms rolls in. Uh, the, the disciples panic. They don't know what's going on. Uh, they don't understand. They just figure they're about to die. Jesus wakes up. He speaks. He rebukes the wind. He speaks to the waves. It all dies down and then he asked them why they still don't have faith and it says the disciples marveled and said to themselves and they were greatly afraid and they said who is this that even the winds and the seas obey him and then they continued on Uh, in fact in verse 1 of chapter 5 it just simply says they came to the other side of the sea so they continued on their journey they came to the other side of the sea and when they did this, what we realized from this story or, or from this, this, this narrative this morning is that when we face spiritual realities that are beyond us, we have to depend on our sovereign Lord completely. First, in order to do this, we must acknowledge our enemy. We need to acknowledge our enemy. Now... I'm going to give a few descriptions in these next few verses. And you're going to say, wait, I don't see that there. Well, know this, that there are parallel passages in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke. And each one of them shares a couple of details that the other one doesn't. And so uh, when you put them together, you get a fuller picture. So if I say something, you say, wait, I don't see that in this passage. It's in one of the other ones. And you can look at those later. But it says in verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the garrisons now your translation it could say garrisons it could say gadarenes it could say gergesenes it could say any of those and the truth is which one's right all of them uh, they're actually all right. Uh, Gerasa, um, Gadara, and uh, Gergesa were all regions or areas and, and cities, and they overlapped with one another, so they were all referred to the same way. So it's not a big deal uh, that they say something different. It's just like saying it was in Bowling Green, also like saying it was in South Central Kentucky. So there's no, there's no difference uh, between them. But it says they go over to um, the, the land or this, uh, the, the area, the country of the Gerasenes. Now, the Gerasenes were, as I said last week... Uh, the Gerasenes and that area of Garasa was primarily Gentile. Uh, it was primarily Gentile while uh, there are times in the per- or periods of history where Garasa is a part of Israel. During this time, it would flip back and forth between Israel and Syria, um, or, or really from between Rome and Syria. Uh, it was right in that area. And so it was predominantly uh, Gentile, and the Jews that did live there were Greek-speaking Jews. So this was not what they would consider Palestine at all. Jesus was out of his element, as it were. So he goes across um, the lake, and when he steps out, uh, Mark tells us this, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones okay so there's I think when you listen to that you hear that and the other accounts um, you know this man uh, the other accounts tell us as well that he ran around completely naked he had no clothes on at all he screamed day and night as this one says he yelled out in a loud, loud voice he took rocks sharp rocks and he cut himself constantly he was, uh, and then maybe the creepiest thing, now I know most of you, you've probably been to a cemetery uh, for a funeral or whatever else, and even though you know the truth, that those, um, those bodies that are buried there, that's what they are, they're bodies, there's nothing there, um, and at the same time, I don't care, I, I know that. I understand that. I, I, I've read books and even written papers about life after death and all that. And I understand that when, when we're at a cemetery or we're doing a, a funeral, I understand that that is the body that God created for this person, but that that person is no longer there. And so I understand all of that. And yet I can tell you, with all of that, I don't want to hang out in a cemetery at night. I, I just don't. I mean, what good can come from that? I, I, just, I, I don't get it. Well, so we would hear this, and we say this is kind of eerie. Well, it's even crazier because this is not a cemetery, although I mean it is in one sense. But this is this is a cemetery, not people buried in the ground, but people buried in tombs, rooms carved out of the rock. This man lives among the tombs. Some of the other translations or uh, passages say the same thing. He lives among the tombs. He lives and sleeps with dead bodies. That's what he does. Now I can tell you, when you know all of that, it says that the people, they tried to subdue him and they would wrap chains around him. They'd put bindings on him and yet he would just break them. He had this superhuman strength. Now think about this. you got a guy who sleeps with dead bodies, has superhuman strength, runs around screaming at the top of his lungs all the time, cutting himself with sharp rocks and he runs around naked completely and he's probably got extremely long hair, overgrown fingernails. He's just... Crazy in every way, shape, and form. This is the kind of deal where parents tell their children, Hey, don't go over there. Right? So there's something wrong with this guy. Would you agree with that? There's something drastically wrong with this man. And it tells us what it is. It tells us in verse 2, Immediately there met a man of the tombs. A man with an unclean spirit. This man is the, the common term that we would use is he is demon-possessed. This man is demon-possessed. He, he's had demons take up residency in him. Now, I want to go ahead and dispel that, especially for uh, some of the younger people in the room that may not know this. This man is demon-possessed because he does not know Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot be demon-possessed. I'm telling you that because until I was about 14, it scared me to death. Okay? You cannot be demon-possessed because the Holy Spirit resides in you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and he doesn't want anything to do with that. Okay, so this man's demon-possessed, he's running all over the place. And when, when we think about this, uh, the reason I pointed this out, just these first few verses, is because it's very common. It's very common for us to walk throughout life, to, to live our lives, and to assume that we don't have a real enemy. To walk about as though there is not someone... Who is actively trying to destroy the work of God and destroy the power of God in our lives. They, we, we, don't, we walk around acting like that's the case. And yet the Apostle Paul, as I read a minute ago in Ephesians 6, tells us we need to be putting on armor to protect ourselves. We need to be protecting ourselves from what? The fiery darts of the evil one. That literally means that all day long Satan's sitting there lobbing darts at you, trying to hit you. That's what he's doing. And I'm not saying that there are certain circumstances um, that you're struggling with and you're dealing with in your life and that's the case, and, I, and I, I hate that for you, but sometimes there are circumstances that we caused on our own, okay? And then there are times where there are circumstances, obviously from Scripture, where we are under attack from the spiritual realm. We may not recognize it. You say, no, no, it's just this person. They're really bothering me. But what does he say? We do not battle against flesh and blood. You may see flesh and blood in front of you, but know that there's something else going on behind that. Satan loves to cause discord in the church. Satan loves to cause discord among your family. Satan loves to cause discord and confusion within your own mind. He loves to do that because the longer, you're focused on, the longer we're focused on each other, the longer we're focused on ourselves, we take our focus off of the Lord and what he's called us to do. He wants to confuse, he wants to obfuscate, he wants to cause all kinds of issues for us. Now, with that, I'm not saying that we're supposed to see, uh, the, the term is, I'm not saying that we're supposed to see a demon behind every bush. Okay, I'm not saying that every time something goes wrong, you go, oh, and you sound like Flip Wilson saying, the devil made me do it. You're not, there, there's nothing like that. I'm not saying that every time something goes wrong in your life, you just go, oh, Satan, well, maybe, maybe you just did something dumb. Right? I mean, that's the truth. But what happens is that most of the time we don't, we don't say... Well, most people are not a devil-behind-every-bush kind of person. Most of us just act like Satan and, and our enemy doesn't exist. If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis's great work, The Screwtape Letters, in The Screwtape Letters, it's a, a senior demon writing to a junior demon who is trying to cause problems in this guy's life. And the senior demon actually tells him... That the best thing he could do to succeed in his his goal, the best thing he could do would be to convince that man that he doesn't exist. To convince that man that every difficult thing that happens in his life is caused by somebody else. To, To convince him that he is not real. Because if the man is convinced that his enemy is not real, he won't ever protect against his enemy. Children of God, if we are convinced somehow... That we don't have a real enemy. You know what it causes us to do? In the church, you know what it causes us to do? It causes us to get at odds with one another and then grow bitter toward one another and then use that against one another. And it causes us to call it causes all kinds of destruction and confusion within the body of Christ. Hear me. When there is discord and there is confusion and there is even destruction within the body of Christ, know this that Satan is gleefully laughing and enjoying every moment of what is going on. Because God's people, you know, we're not supposed to be at one another's throat. There's a whole lot of one another's in the New Testament, but be at one another's throat is not one of them it's love one another forgive one another be long suffering with one another see we have to acknowledge that we have a real enemy and as we move forward I can tell you this as we move forward as the church as the people of God As we move forward to see men and women, boys and girls come to faith in Jesus Christ, even this last week in Vacation Bible School, as we move forward to see all of that happen, I can promise you this, our enemy doesn't sit back and just watch. He is going to be actively engaged to shut down every single thing that could happen. Because he does not want that. He wants to hinder the work of God. But when we are submitted, as the people of God, when we are submitted To the will of God. When we are following the word of God. We are being led by the spirit of God. There is nothing that Satan can do. To hinder the work of God. So. We may have a powerful enemy. And we certainly must. Be aware of his schemes. And and what he does. and, And how he works. However as we face this enemy. And as we see the kingdom of God advance, and we see people come to faith in Christ, we can see that our sovereign Lord is king. And we must adore our all-powerful king. See, that's the beauty of it. If left to our own accord, we got a problem. Left to our own accord, we don't have any armor. Left to our own accord, we don't have any way to fight against this enemy. And yet, praise God, he did not leave us alone. Verse 6, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. So Jesus goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And and while he's there, as soon as he steps out of the boat, we, we know this from those first few verses. As soon as he steps out of the boat, he is met by this man. And now we know this man saw Jesus from afar, and he ran to him. Notice this. He didn't even wait for Jesus to come to him. That's important. He didn't wait for Jesus to come to him. He ran to Jesus. But what does he do? So when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran to him and fell down before him. So here's the picture. Enter into the story. Jesus and his disciples are in the boat. Jesus steps out of the boat and this crazed, naked, cuts all over him, dirty, filthy, screaming uncontrollably man comes running at Jesus. Now imagine that. Okay? Imagine what you would do if it was it said something like, and the moment you stepped out of your car, this crazy Completely naked, totally dirty, screaming uncontrollably person came running at you. How would you respond? I would get back in the car. Right? Jesus is standing there, but what happens? The man doesn't attack him. Now, people have been binding him with chains, and he's shattering these chains. And yet, he sees Jesus from a distance. He sprints right to Jesus and then falls down on his face in front. Of him. There have been people trying to subdue this man for quite some time, tie him down, hold him down, try to fix something, try to make something happen, and nothing would work. No one could subdue him. Jesus doesn't even lift a finger, Jesus doesn't even speak. He just shows up, and the man falls down on his face. And what does he say? He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, you read the gospel accounts, you find that um, there's no mention of Jesus going to the side of the sea up to this point. So could it be that his fame had spread and they knew who he was as a rabbi and and those things? But it could be. Could it be um, that that's the case? Well, then he would have said something like, what do we have to do with Jesus, great rabbi? Or what do we have to do with you, Jesus, great miracle worker? Or what do we have to do with you, Jesus, um, great teacher? But that's not what he says. He says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And that's interesting because those, that phrase actually means two different things. Um, It it means uh, the the king himself, the physical earthly king, Israel's king, was referred to many times as the son of God, little s. But also he refers to him as the son of the most high God. So what is he saying? He's saying you're the king. Now this man is filled with a legion of demons, as we'll see in a minute. He is filled with demons and he falls down on his face before Jesus. Now the disciples, as we saw at the end of chapter 4, the disciples have no idea who Jesus is. What man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? Who is this guy? That's what they say, they're saying to themselves. They have no idea. We'll see here the people of the area of the Gerasenes. They have no idea who Jesus is. But there is one person, really, a whole lot of demons. But there is one person who knows exactly who Jesus is in this story. It's the demons. Or one, one, one group of people or things The demons know exactly who Jesus is. And they run, and they cause this man to fall down in front of Jesus and say, what have we to do to you? Then he says this, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Beg, plead, do not torment me. Now that's really interesting. There are people that have tried to tie this man down. They've tried to put chains on him and everything else. Jesus is a carpenter from Nazareth. He steps out of the boat and just stands there. And and begins to say, as we see in the next verse, he begins to say, come out of that man. Come out of that man, unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit falls down on his face and says, please, don't torment me. There's something about this man who just stepped out of the boat that nobody else understands that these demons get very clearly. Please, don't torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Verse 9, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion for we are many. So the demon or demons say, my name is Legion, for we are many. Well, a Roman legion had 6,000 soldiers in it. Does that mean that the man had 6,000? Well, he doesn't say that, but he says we are many. We just know it's a lot. We also know that when the demons leave this man and go into the pigs, that it caused 2,000 pigs to to die. So whatever it is, it's a whole lot. This is not one demon. This is not two demons. This is thousands of demons inside this man. Um, This man is, his entire soul, his entire spirit is being ripped apart. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. He begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. I like to dispel a rumor that i think of course is created by the greeks it's called greek dualism But that's not really how most of us know it right we we recognize um something else like i said it's referred to as greek dualism what we rec- what we remember is this do you remember the cartoon tom and jerry i guess i'm the only one that watched tom and jerry okay so you remember tom and jerry and you remember whenever uh you know, Tom would be, would be sleeping over in the corner. And Jerry comes up and, and you know, in that tiny little pocket that he has on his pants that he's not wearing. He pulls out this ginormous hammer, right? So he's about to slam Tom right on the head. And then right before he does it, pop, this little angel version of Jerry pops up on his shoulder and says, Now, you're better than this. You don't need to do that. He's sleeping peacefully. Don't mess with him. And he starts to put the hammer down like, yeah, that's probably right. I don't know. And then pop, what pops up on the other side of his shoulder is the devil version of Jerry that goes, ha, 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 you can get him now. You can do this, right? And they go. And then what happens? Jerry's just a bystander while they start arguing back and forth with one another. And who's going to win? Well, how do we? I mean, who's going to overcome? I mean, they're equal. That's Greek dualism. You notice in this story, there is no such thing as Greek dualism. See, Jesus shows up and he's not wondering, I wonder if I can overcome Satan today. I wonder if these demons are going to listen to me. These demons aren't going, hey, maybe we could get one over on Jesus. What does it say they do constantly? It actually uses the word over and over again. They begged him. They begged him. Why? Because they're not in control. They begged him not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him again begged him saying send us to the pigs and let us enter them now love the next word of the next phrase so he gave them permission do you notice that Jesus didn't have a giant uh service he wasn't slinging oil all over the place he wasn't hitting them with a suit jacket and he wasn't slamming them on the head or any kind of crazy stuff like that it just says Jesus looked at them and they said please don't do this to us and Jesus was like okay That's it. That's all it took. He just gave them permission. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord of the spiritual realm. These demons know exactly who they're dealing with. And they aren't going to get away with anything. So he gave them permission in verse 13. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and they drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled, and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and his right mind. And they were afraid. Now, I find this interesting that the herdsmen are the ones that run into the city, right? They run into the city. Why? Well, they don't have anything to watch anymore. The pigs are gone. Um, So they run into the city to tell them... All the people come out of the city to see what's going on. And when they come there, it doesn't say, and they saw all the dead bodies of the pigs floating around in the sea. And they thought, what on earth happened? And they were greatly afraid. It doesn't say that at all. It says when they saw the demon-possessed man sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, they were afraid. They were afraid... Because Jesus Christ transformed this man. They knew how powerful this man was. They knew how crazy and demon possessed this man was. They've seen this man cutting himself and screaming and ripping chains apart and all those things. And they know one thing. That man was powerful and now he's sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Whoever did that is far more powerful than him. And they're afraid. They are People of God, when you face a hardship in this life, you face difficulty in this life, when you believe and and know that the enemy is coming against you, don't put God in a box. Don't think, well, yeah, he can do those things, but I just feel so alone. I don't know if he can... Don't put God in a box. This legion of demons that no human being could handle ran up to Jesus, fell down before him, understood his name and his title, and begged for permission. And Jesus gave it and they left. Again, to quote C.S. Lewis, I love C.S. Lewis by the way, but to quote C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, not the movie but the book, um, in the Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy is speaking to the, the, the beavers and she, he's, they say Aslan's on the move and She looks and says, Aslan, who's Aslan? He says, oh, Aslan, the great lion. And she says, oh, a lion? Is he a tame lion? And she says, no, he is not tame. But he is good. And see, our God, Jesus Christ, he is good, but he is not tame. Don't try to put God in a box and say, well, the God I worship would never... Then you might be worshiping the wrong God if it doesn't line up with the scriptures. Don't put him in a box. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with in this life right now, know this. Submit to the Lord. And Jesus Christ is powerful enough to take care of anything that you may be dealing with. Eastwood, we've been given an amazing commission by God. To reach the nations with the gospel. And know this. You and I might struggle, but he is always powerful enough. And we need to adore our all-powerful king. So we can see here that Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord, is, is beyond great. And the magnitude of his power is unimaginable. And it should drive us to worship. It should drive us to praise And when you and I are overcome by the power of our sovereign Lord, we should never be able to keep that to ourselves. We should never be able to keep that to ourselves. See, sometimes you hear people talk about how we're supposed to tell others about Jesus Christ, and then they begin to refer to it um, like, well, you know, you know, because we're Christians, we have to share the gospel. You don't have to share the gospel, you get to share the gospel. You should be overwhelmed. I should be overwhelmed with the power of God and the the grace of Jesus Christ. And it should drive me to want to tell others. That's what we see from this story in the last couple of verses. We must acclaim Christ's transforming power. Now, it's interesting to me. These people misunderstand Jesus so much that it says they began to beg Jesus. Now, notice this the demons begged jesus and now the people are begging jesus they're saying please please depart from our region they're so overwhelmed they're so afraid of the power of god that they just asked jesus if he could get in the boat and leave and as he's leaving it says in verse 18 as he was getting into the boat The man who had been possessed with demons begged him. So he's begging him again. So the demons begged him. Now the people begged him. Now this man is begging him. He begged him. That he might be with him. Do you remember what it was like before you were a believer? Do you remember what it was like before you knew Jesus Christ? And then the moment you came to faith in Jesus, you couldn't get enough of him. You couldn't read your Bible enough. You couldn't go to church enough. You couldn't worship enough. You couldn't pray enough. Sadly, most of us get over that. But he couldn't get enough. And so he begged Jesus that he just, he just wanted to be with him. Just let me get in the boat and go back. I want to be one of your disciples. I just want to follow you. And he did not permit him, in verse 19, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. Jesus says, no, no, no. Your job is to stay here on this side and go tell everybody about me. Go tell everybody what God has done for you and what the Lord has done for you. And how he has shown you mercy. I love this. It doesn't say, but he argued with him and said, Jesus, I want to be with you. In verse 20 it says, and he went away immediately. And he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. I'm so blown away by this because Jesus says, go back to the city and tell your friends and your family. Then where do we see this man? He's on a ten city tour as a traveling evangelist telling everybody about what Jesus did for him. Right? It says he went back to the Decapolis. That's the ten cities. It's this area with all of these cities. And Jesus said, go back and tell your friends and your family. He just decided, I'm just going to tell everybody. He had so much of Jesus Christ, he was so overwhelmed by what the sovereign Lord had done for them, he he could not help but tell every single person he could find. You talk about a change from the beginning of this story to the end. You talk about a shift from a man who was filled with a legion of demons, living among dead bodies, to traveling citywide and telling others about Jesus Christ. You know what that tells me? That tells me that there's not a person in this room that Jesus can't change. That tells me there's not a person in this world that Jesus can't change. There is not one person in this room that Jesus cannot forgive. You may be sitting there thinking, you don't know what I've done, but Jesus does, and he can forgive you. There is not a person in this room with questions that Jesus cannot answer. There is no distance that you can run that his grace cannot reach further still. But see, what this story, what this this instant shows us is that he is the sovereign Lord. And because of that, While there is no person he cannot save, there is no person he cannot change, there is no person he cannot and will not forgive, there is no person that has run so far that he cannot be caught and found by the Lord. But there is a stipulation. He is the sovereign Lord, and in order to have that forgiveness, and in order to be changed forever, you have to submit to him. It's interesting that in this story, the only person, the only people that submit... To the lordship of Jesus Christ. Are the demons. Because they know exactly who he is. Will you do that this morning? If you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. You turn your life over to Jesus. He'll forgive you. He'll make you whole. And he will transform you. From this day on. To the point that people who know you, they'll be like walking up to this man. The people who know you will see you there and they'll see your life and they will marvel at what has happened. And then you can tell them about what Jesus has done for you. Believer, the greatest miracle in all of scripture is when Jesus Christ saves someone and brings them from darkness to light. Brings them from death to life. See, Jesus did all kinds of things. He he cast out demons. He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He even raised people from the dead physically. But here's the thing. The greatest miracle that Jesus performs is that he can heal the spiritually lame. He can heal the spiritually blind. He can heal and raise the spiritually dead from the grave. And then, he said in his omnipotent and omniscient plan that he chose for you and me to be the ones to bring that message. He chose for us to be the ones to go to our neighbors and our co-workers and our family and our friends and tell them about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Don't do it because you have to. When was the last time you were overwhelmed? By what Jesus had done for you. Stop for a moment and realize. You were on your way to hell. And Jesus Christ. Snatched you. From the grave. And as the psalmist said. He drew you out up out of uh, the miry clay. And he set your feet upon a rock. And he put a new song in your mouth. A song of praise. Think about what you were. Before you met Jesus. And who you are now. And I promise you, you think hard enough, you will be overwhelmed by the grace of God. And when you are overwhelmed by the grace of God and what Jesus did for you, then truly, we should be driven to worship our, our Savior. We should be driven to adore our Savior. And we should be driven to tell others that our Savior is the Sovereign Lord of creation, He is the Sovereign Lord of the spiritual world, and He will save. We are so grateful you have spent the last several minutes with us, and I hope you were encouraged in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you're a member of another church, I pray that this experience would be supplemental to your fellowship and service in your local body. If you're not currently connected to a local church, and you live in the Bowling Green area, We would love to welcome you in person at Eastwood at one of our campuses on Sunday at 9.30 or 11. You can find all the information you need on our website, www.eastwoodbc.org, or you can contact us to get answers to your questions. Again, I pray you were encouraged during your time with us.
1: May you be richly blessed in Christ.